You're listening to the Health by Design podcast, and I'm your host, Roar Alexander, wellness architect and functional lifestylist. I spent nearly six years of my life on a journey through the ancient East to bring you the cutting-edge combination of modern Western health sciences blended with the time-proven ancient traditions, principles, and practices that have flourished through thousands of years across countless cultures, peoples, and nations. Join me and my many special guests from all corners of the globe as we aim to help you live stronger, longer, and better. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Health by Design podcast. I'm your host, Roy Alexander, and I have an exciting show cut up for you today. You must know by now, if you follow me, that I am a huge fan of kind of holistic uh, lifestyle, you know, holistic health, integrative health. Um, I'm a big, you know, when I have my coaching clients and my consulting clients, I'm always pushing that. I am by far from, you know, your typical sort of just personal trainer, nutritionist. I don't think that, you know, just squats and fish oil can cure everything, uh, nor do I believe that you have to go on any of these sort of crazy diets and start cutting out uh, huge food groups, entire macronutrients. Um, you know, like I said, I'm very holistic based and I've had the pleasure of being able to interview so many people that kind of have the same ideas of me or people who share at least different aspects of my philosophy, you know, people who appreciate things like functional feng shui, uh, people who appreciate things like nature, biophilic design, uh, you know, wellness architecture, talking about all the different aspects of being healthy. And one of the uh, best guests that I've had on by far, probably uh, my favorite one when we're talking about something that encompasses everything, is Dr. Rob Brown, uh, and he is the author of the book Toxic Home, Conscious Home, A Mindful Approach to Wellness at Home. Um, I myself am actually writing a book right now uh, about you know wellness in a holistic home, uh, so I've been doing lots of different readings and different books and just tons of studying and just, get, just getting a bunch of different ideas, but what really caught me about Rob's book was that, first of all, I love the way he's laid out the chapters in the book. Every chapter is like there's a chapter on water and a chapter on air. He just kind of lays everything out really simply. Um, doesn't just tell you obviously the problems, but he gives you solutions as well. But one of the things that really caught my eye was that he has a chapter dedicated to uh, feng shui. So he, like myself, is big on you know the mental aspect of home, and that's something that people tend to ignore. We tend to downplay our brain, our minds, and our thoughts. You know, we're all hung up when it comes to health. Uh, we have a very vague, very kind of very bad Western definition of health. We just think it's just not being sick. But we don't understand there's so much more when it comes to health and, you know, pure wellness optimization. You know, if you follow my stuff, you follow my website, you'll know that I have my bagua, which is my eight areas of health. Kind of stole that term from feng shui. Um, interestingly, I actually had my eight areas um, before I knew really in depth about the feng shui eight areas and it happened to be that they almost all tied up not all of them not exactly in feng shui they talk about the, the career and success where i kind of throw that a little more into 
personal development and lifestyle, but a lot of the stuff really matched up. And, and I really liked the term they had, which was Bagua, and which means the eight areas. And there's actually, if you look at it, there's actually nine areas, but the center one is health. And the way I kind of think of it is if you have a, the, so you have nine squares, you know, you have three across, three in the middle, three at the bottom. Um, so you can almost think of it more like a circle. Um, because, you know, whether you're looking at it from the classical, you know, using the classical compass, which actually is round, or the more um, octagon shape or the, or the square like you have in the, the Western style of feng shui, the center represents the health. And to me, that's kind of like a target. So if you have all eight areas working well around the center, they should all be generating kind of that health in the middle. So that's kind of my take on it. And... Um, you know, I really liked Rob's book because he talks, you know, everything from the hard stuff like the, how to clean your air physically, how to clean your water physically, the kind of food and wrapping you need to have. Uh, and then he gets into the metaphysical side, which is the spirit side, you know, the feng shui side, the way you're, you know, just understanding, basically just understanding the spiritual aspect of health, which I think is really, really important because here's the thing. Think about it. If you are, you know, let's say you're eating your kale salads every day and you got your Buddha bowl and you're doing all the funky, you know, nootropics and you got everything going on that all these, you know, nutritionists are telling you whether you, if you're, you know, you're following whatever the trendy diet is right now. You got that. So you got your nutrition like down and you got your exercise down. You're going to, you know, CrossFit or Orange Theory and you're doing your weight training, you got your yoga. But, you know, if you are not happy at your job, if you come home and your house is dirty, your house is messy, um, you know, things are broken and you, you just don't have a good feeling there. <clears throat> if you're, you know, hanging out with the wrong people, the people that surround you kind of bring you down, they don't really raise you up. I mean, there's no amount of exercise and nutrition that's really going to fix that. So um, I really suggest if you're into this sort of stuff, to definitely check out uh, Rob's book. You can also find him at his website, which is www.robbrownmd.com. Uh, you can check it out there. He also, I was checking out a little bit earlier, he has lots of blogs, and his recent blog is uh, right up, I believe, till February 2019. So it uh, looks like he's keeping pretty busy. So, um, yeah, definitely, let's get into this conversation. But just remember, before we get into it, if you are having troubles, you know, with your nutrition, you're having troubles with your, your health, your fitness, you just, you just, let's just say you're just unhappy with where you are health-wise, wellness-wise, physically, you know, there's an extra weight you can't lose, there's, you know, you're always running around, you got the diets going on, you're just, you're just kind of sick, you're tired, you're at your end, and you're just like, God, you know what, I just wish I could get the answers to what I need to know so I can live a long and healthy and happy life, then make sure you visit my website at www.roaralexander.com slash free call to set up a free call with me. Um, and you know, you just go onto that website, just go through there, you're gonna see a bit about my services I offer. And then at the bottom, you're gonna see an application form. Just fill out that application form, answer it honestly, send it to me. If it looks good, I will email you back and we will jump on an absolutely free call to see if I can help you. Whether you just need some consulting, which I actually prefer, if you just need some consulting, you need somebody to help you get on the right track, you have some questions, you know, you need a little bit of a, 
you need a little bit of just information on you know where to go and just how to get there then you know I'm happy to do that and of course you have everything right up to full out coaching as well um, where you know I can go with you whether you need coaching for six months or a year whatever it's gonna be um, it's entirely personalized so that's why I you know I can't really say what I do because you know what I do is gonna involve what whatever you and me think we need um, one of the tools I do use, though, is I do do full DNA testing. Um, and the reason I do that is because I've done it for myself. And even with all my knowledge and after all the years I've been doing this, um, it really opened my eyes to a lot of things that uh, I had to fix. Even when it comes down to my exercise, when it comes down to my nutrition, and even my lifestyle, it gave me a lot of insight. And nowadays, it's really so inexpensive to do that. So I can tell you this. Uh, doing a you know the quick DNA test is a little swab in the mouth that's definitely one thing we'll go over the results on that and then from there that's going to really help me um, you know target in your nutrition target in your, um, your your fitness your exercise and then we can even discuss lifestyle stuff and then of course you know we have extra tools like my I have a personal nutritionist that I like to use um, if you we want to go depending on how deep we want to go really towards your home health your family's health you know we can look into using my um, uh, I have an affiliate, a very good friend of mine. He does uh, what's a building bi building biologist, so we can start looking at how to make your home healthier, which is a big part of what I do. So he kind of handles the more technical part, and then I handle the more um, kind of holistic nutrition, um, light side, that that sort of stuff. So, like I said, you know, I'm not saying you have to do all that, but you know, we just get on the phone, we get a call down, we see what it is that I can help you with. So, with no further ado, let's get on to Rob Brown from Toxic Home conscious home hey everybody so welcome to the health by design podcast i am roar alexander today i have a great show coming up for you if you listen to my show you know that i am a big fan when it comes to having a healthy home an inspired home i really believe that the home is kind of really your health is made and broken in the home you got work you got the outside environment but when it comes to your health, the home really is the place where it's really literally built. And nowadays, it seems that a lot more people are kind of seeing this, whether you're talking about biophilic design or feng shui, or you know, you got, you got guys like that are out there doing building biology. But today I have a great guest for you. I have the author of the book, Toxic Home, Conscious Home, A Mindful Approach to Wellness at Home, Rob Brown, MD. How are you today, Rob? Doing well, Ward. Thank you. No problem. Thank you for uh, joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. Now, I bought your book a few months ago. It's one of many books I bought uh, kind of along these topics. And because to me, like I said in the intro, having a healthy home is so important. And I don't think people give it enough credit that a lot of people just treat their homes just, you know, it's a place where you come, you sleep, and you maybe you, make some, you microwave your dinner, and then you shoot back off to work. I have the feeling you're a lot more along my lines when it comes to the way you should think about the health in your home. Would I be correct? Uh, definitely. I mean, I think you can go to battle every day, but you need to be able to come home and be in a safe place and rejuvenate and rest and, and get healthy again for the next day. Exactly. 100% agree. So let's get into it. Um, what is your background? It says MD. What kind of MD are you? Uh, I'm a, an allopathically trained radiologist. I completed my training back in 1995, so I've been practicing for quite a long time. And uh, I've worked in some academic centers like NYU and 
New York and the Cleveland Clinic Foundation in Florida, and I've worked in private practice. Uh, I've worked all over the United States, actually, in many different towns and cities around, uh, and, and that's where the perspective of my book comes from. Gotcha. So what is your book about exactly, for people that might not be aware of what your book's about? Uh, so in the book, I, I, I bring people through an understanding of their relationship to the environment, in particular in the home. And so I start with biochemical aspects of our, our relationship to, to the interior of our home. I talk about water and air and the food uh, that we eat, the materials that we, that we package and cook our foods with. I talk about cleaning materials and personal care products. And then the book transitions into the idea that we're also affected by electromagnetic uh, frequency and, and sound. And so I discuss different types of light and how light affects our health, uh, how sound can affect our health, and electromagnetic frequency, which is, of course, a part of the electromagnetic spectrum like light. And then I finally bring the reader into non-measurable energy currents, and those are the, the qi associated with feng shui and also the mind and the power of the mind that we can access through meditation, how we actually create with our mind and, and the importance of having a clean and healthy mind. And, and that really is the foundation for everything. And that's really what I really liked about your book is you literally went, you know, you, you go through subjects like, you know, chlorine, fluoride, you know, like chemicals, pesticides, and then you slowly work your way, like, like you said, kind of getting up to almost like the metaphysical side. But that's the last side a lot of people don't understand because what they don't get is that things like light or sound or you know, just all those are stressors on your body. EMFs, all these are little stressors and all these little stressors can add up, which of course we get into inflammation, which leads to chronic illnesses and things like that. That's right. Yeah. So why did you decide to write this book? Well, you know, I've noticed over the years the people are, in general are getting sicker uh, with more chronic diseases. And, you know, some, some illnesses uh, that are so common now, like glute, uh, gluten sensitivity and celiac disease, that didn't even exist when I was doing my training in the early 90s. Uh, and now it's so common that they don't even do radiology exams anymore to make the diagnosis. So, and breast cancer in women it continues to escalate and become more prevalent. Um, colon cancer is going up. There's just so many chronic diseases um, that are becoming more and more prevalent. And it's been frustrating as a radiologist to see this and know that the medical system really has nothing to offer uh, people in terms of being well. They they treat disease, they can detect disease and treat disease once it occurs, but there's really no emphasis on prevention aside from screening tests, you know, like mammograms and colonoscopies and things like that. And I, I really uh, believe that a lot of these diseases are caused by environmental toxins. And because the, you know, these companies, these gigantic corporations that are multinational, uh, they, they control the media, they control what people know, uh, and, and a lot of their products are behind these diseases. And so my book was an attempt to educate people. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense to me. I agree. I always find it interesting. Um, you know, you get a lot of these kind of these, um, I guess the really science, like the pure science-driven people, the ones that, and, and not to say your book's not science, obviously it is, but the ones that refuse to accept something may be 
maybe going negative until there's a definitive study to prove it. Right. And I've always found it interesting because we see things like chronic illness going up. We've seen things like one in two Canadians is going to get cancer. I mean, that's the stat. 50% of Canadians are going to get cancer at some point. And, you, you know, people like you and people that write books, you know, like this are saying, hey, you know what? There's some real scientific evidence here. There's some common sense. There's some good, great theories out there that's showing this could affect you. But these people, they're like, no, no, that's just craziness. There's no study to prove that. But when you turn around and you say to them, okay, I get it. There's no study. You Can you tell me then, can you tell me what is it that is causing this widespread epidemic problem they they don't even have a salute they don't even have a guess because right. you know because there's no evidence behind it so that's why i love books like yours that you know and that's why i was talking about i was interviewing building biologists lately and he said you know when it comes to emfs he goes there is no definitive study that says this is bad for you he goes but there's studies that say hey Something is happening and, you know, something like when you use your phone, for instance, and, and all the kind of the glucose goes to the one side of your brain. He's like, that's not probably a good thing. He goes, now, we don't right. know it's for a bad thing for sure, but it's right. probably not a good thing. Well, the science people say, well, they show me that it's actually bad for you. <laughs> well, that's, you know, you can, you can hide things by having to prove them scientifically, of course. And, we, you know, we see examples of that all the time, everything from global warming and climate change to yep. the effects of parabens in our, in our, you know, our personal care products. It's, they're uh, smoking. I mean, how many years did it take for, for scientists to prove that smoking caused cancer? I mean, the, the evidence was absolutely everywhere. But to have the definitive studies that were irrefutable, uh, it takes decades. And of course, you know, we're talking about industries where there are chemists actively working on creating new chemicals all the time. Mm -hmm. And so there's no, and, and we live in a sea of them. So it to, to say, oh, well, this chemical is doing, you know, A and that chemical is doing B is really, it's, it's, uh, it's not possible. I mean, no. there's, it's, 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 it's impossible to isolate the effects on human health and animal health based on one or two chemicals because we live in a sea of them and they're constantly changing. Well, that's exactly it. And you could never put together all the combinations of chemicals. So, right. you know, like, uh, you know, I know there's other books like Dr. Stephen Cabral's Rain Barrel Effect, you know, and J, Dr. Right. Anthony J's Estrogeneration, where mm -hmm. they just say, you know, Maybe this one, if there was only this one chemical, maybe it was just, you know, I don't know, let's just throw aspartame. Maybe it was just aspartame. That was the only toxin in the whole world. Maybe that's not going to do anything. But when you combine aspartame with the perfume, plus the, you know, the, the triclosan, plus this, plus that, you're right. in for probably some big problems. <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so in, in my book, I'm trying to teach people just some basic, simple things that they can do at home to... Yeah, you know, reduce their exposure. It's certainly not going to hurt anybody. It might make life a little bit more complex because you can't rely on some of the the conveniences that we that we all have become familiar with. But um, but there's there's my attempt is to just it doesn't worry what the you know don't worry about what the name of the chemical is. Don't mm -hmm. worry. You just just work to get them out of your out of your home. 
Exactly. You know, your exposure. Yeah, I cannot agree more. That's kind of like where I come from too. I'm very much like, don't worry about all these names. Half of them I can't even pronounce properly anyways. But right. you know, while the chemicals that are in Glade probably just shouldn't be in your house, just use an essential oil, which we'll talk about later too, because you do have some interesting points on essential oils. So your book, we're going to basically, we'll break it down. You, you've broken it down into like three sections, really. The first one is essentials, followed by mm-hmm. the conveniences, and followed by energy and spirit. So, right. what are so what are your three essentials? Uh, air, water, and whole food. Air, water, and whole food. So, what made you decide those are the three most essential things? Well, they are essential to life, right? Mm-hmm. So, those are the <laughs> those are the three things yeah. that we need to survive. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> we have to breathe air. We have to drink water, and we have to eat food. We don't have to have processed food, but we have to have some type of nutrition. Yeah, no, for sure. So then let's go through let's go through each chapter a little bit um, and just kind of talk about some of the, maybe the the biggest the biggest highlights that if you had to, you know if you had to sum up each chapter in a, say a presentation um, let's start with water what are the biggest issues that you see in most people's water and then we'll talk about maybe the top one or two solutions really quickly that people can do to start making their water better sure okay so. You know, we, we're provided water by these uh, public water, you know, utilities, and they're distributed to the homes uh, via piping. And, and even though these, these companies, the municipal authorities, they do testing on the water for a limited number of contaminants, uh, the, all bets are off by the time the water gets to your home. And, of course, if you have a well... You can test your well water maybe once a year, but you really have no idea what's happening in between the the tests. Yeah, for sure. And so I strongly recommend that people uh, buy a home filtration system, a high-quality home filtration system. I prefer the gravity drip filters. And then to store that uh, purified water in either glass or stainless steel canisters – uh, you know, it's so common now that people are buying plastic water bottles uh, instead of relying on tap water to drink. And not only is it expensive and a blight on the environment, but there are chemicals in the plastic that can then leach into the water, especially if the water's uh, reached, uh, you know, increased temperature. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody's familiar with BPA bottles and BPA-free bottles, but they may not realize that chemists have replaced BPA with other chemicals, uh, notably BPF and BPS, which have similar estrogenic effects as BPA. And so uh, even though the bottle may be labeled BPA-free, you're still not uh, you're still not safe. You're still drinking water that may be contaminated with traces of these estrogenic chemicals. And we see evidence of this everywhere. I mean, the breast, you know, it, it may be one of the reasons why breast cancer is so prevalent why so many men have gynecomastia, why uterine cancer is so prevalent, why so there's such obesity everywhere. Uh, these are some of the effects of estrogen, excess estrogens. Mm-hmm. Now, when you say a good water filter, I mean, uh, there's so many. I could go like, to Walmart right now. You know, There's Brita, there's reverse osmosis, there's just a, a charcoal, kind of the charcoal tower. What, in your opinion, is a, like, what's a good filter and what should we look for a filter that's, what should it be taking out primarily? A good filter is going to cost, you know, over a hundred or two hundred dollars. It's not going to be a canister that, like the brands that you mentioned, there are there are many vendors that sell them. My favorite is the Berkey filter. It's uh, 
It's a, it sits on a countertop. It's pretty tall, and you pour water into it, and it does go through a charcoal filter, which removes organic compounds and, and lead. Uh, they have they have different uh, layers of, of uh, filtration that remove different things from the water. And the, depending on when your water source is, uh, you may have to remove more or less contaminants. Mm-hmm. Uh, these filters are not going to sanitize your water. So if you're if you're receiving water from a well, for example, you need to either chlorinate the water or put it through some type of radiation to kill uh, bacteria and viruses before that water gets into your filter because the filters do not remove microorganisms. No. Uh, if you're getting the water from a municipal water authority, then the water's already been sanitized, and there may be you know traces of of uh, the byproducts of that chlorination process in the water which can be removed by these water filters as well. Gotcha. Now, in your book, you do talk about electromagnetic frequency in water, and you say you should be drinking water that's kind of close to a river. Um, what do you mean by that? What is – like I've never – don't know that one. So, okay, so water is uh, – you know, the water molecule is a dipole. It's got a positive end and a negative end charge, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when you have a, a, a container of water or a body of water, the water actually has a frequency to it uh, because the the, mo- the, um, the molecules are lined up or maybe the polarity is reversed. And so you can imagine that over a, a, a distance or length of time, there's a certain frequency within that water. And so the water can be the, – the frequency of the water – from what I understand, and this is, again, you mentioned the word metaphysical. This is not scientifically proven. Mm-hmm. But you can affect the the uh, frequency of the water with your mind. Hmm. You can purify it. Uh, you can uh, contaminate it with your thoughts. But So that's why they, the whole idea of holy water is that the water is blessed with the mind and that it's purified and that, that when you consume purified water – that is then healthy, healthier for your body than if it was, say, contaminated uh, energetically. Well, it sounds similar to where, you know, they've shown studies where you can yell and say, give negative energy towards a plant and it will die, yet right. giving it positive. Now, I've heard in some biohacking, um, some of the biohacker guys, they talk about taking your water, putting a little bit of salt in it and placing it out in the sunshine in a glass container. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. No, there's something about same something about it, the way it charges the water, the salt and the crystal that charges the water. So it's kind of an interesting concept. I don't know much about it. I was just I was wondering if you did, but anyways. yeah, no, I haven't heard of that. It sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, it is. All right, so uh, water, basically looking for a really good quality filter. Um, what are some of the, the main contaminants? I guess we want to get rid of a big, chlorine would be a big one. So let's talk more about municipalities. I'd say so. Chlorine is probably a big one. Yeah, the chlorine byproducts and chloramine, uh, chloramine, which is a mixture of ammonia and chlorine. And so, you know, the chloramine uh, is also uh, one of the chemicals that is responsible for the leaching of lead from these pipes that deliver, you know, in older systems, mm-hmm. the solder and, and some of the piping, the copper and the, and the lead can dissolve because of the chloramine in the water. So, uh, so yeah, there's, there's heavy metals. Um, you know, municipal water authorities, they don't test for, um, for some of the, the uh, organic compounds like antidepressants and hormones and you know, birth control pills and um, antibiotics. There's all kinds of stuff in the water supply now, right? Mm. 
Um, and, and these are not things that are removed by the municipal water authorities. So if you, ha if you have a good carbon filter, it will absorb them. Yeah. Now, what about a chlorine or a, uh, sorry, I should say a filter in your shower? Because I've read that you absorb as much chlorine in a 10 minute shower as you do drinking like four liters of water. Do you suggest a good shower filter as well? I do. Yeah. So if you have a, you know, there are water filters that will do the whole house, the whole house filtration systems. And there are reverse osmosis systems that will that will do that. Um, that's kind of an expensive way to go. And I'm not really a big fan of reverse osmosis anyway, because it removes everything from the water, including mm -hmm. trace, trace minerals. Yep. So, but if you go with a, a gravity drip system for your drinking water, then yes, uh, to get, uh, an adapter to the, for the shower to remove the chlorine is a good idea because you, you can absorb chlorine from the water, uh, that hits your body. And if, if you take a bath, the same thing. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so let's move on to your next essential then, which is air. Um, air seems to be getting a lot of focus lately. Down at some of these electronic shows, one of the biggest things right now that seems to be out everywhere is everybody is bringing out, the first one I ever saw was called Fubot, but there's quite a few now, these home air monitors that monitor your air, and some of them are even hooked up to uh, you know, purifiers. What's some, of the, what's some of the things we should know about our air inside? So, you know, air, air pollution, there are two main categories. Uh, one is microparticulates, and those are the tiny, tiny particles that are floating in the air that uh, can get this, uh, lodged in our lungs that we, depending on the size of the particle, may be difficult to remove. Um, the other contaminant are, is called uh, volatile organic compounds, or VOCs for short, mm -hmm. and those are chemicals, they're, uh, they're chemical gases in the air that we inhale and they get uh, they get into our bloodstream and they circulate our, through our body. So there are the when you're talking about your indoor air, you really need to be dealing with both categories. Microparticulates are easy to remedy with a high quality vacuum, uh, you know weekly and a good a high quality uh, filter that goes on your HVAC system. So one that's pleated and and looks like white cotton and not one of those, you know, blue strandy uh, filters that you can see through. You know, those are ineffective at removing the, the tiny particulates. Um, if somebody in the home has, uh, you know, asthma or reactive airway disease, uh, chronic bronchitis, uh, things like that, you know, terrible allergies, then a HEPA filter in a portable air system would also be good at removing uh, the tiniest particles. Uh, from the air, uh, of, you know, perhaps in a bedroom or a living area that that person is is spending their time in, mm -hmm. and that you know that should really be it that you need to worry about for microparticulates. Um, volatile organic compounds. It's another story. You know, we uh, we're lucky in that you know house plants and plants in general they absorb these VOCs and they they metabolize them. They use them as food. So. Uh, so having houseplants in the home is a really good idea mm -hmm. for, for many reasons. But, you know, VOCs, uh, they are, for people that don't know, they are perhaps liquid in, in their state when they're uh, mixed in paint, lacquers, glues, uh, when they're used uh, to make uh, plywood and floorboards and, and uh, shellacs and varnishes. And over time, 
at room temperature, they off-gas. And so they start, they start leak, uh, uh, creating a gas that then gets into the internal environment of the home. Now, uh, during the wintertime, the windows are, are shut, the doors are closed, and uh, these gases can build up in, in a very unhealthy concentration. And some of them are they're carcinogenic. So you really need to take uh, precautions to avoid their, um, you know, their concentration, the, the the increasing concentration of them. And so by putting houseplants in the home, that's a that's a great way to do that. Now another option, I guess, would be, um, and I've heard this one before, is maybe leaving your windows open, maybe at least a centimeter, or even half a centimeter, just to get some airflow. Sure. Yep. Old houses had, you know, they they were constructed in such a way that there was infiltration, and so you know, they there's there are drafts. You know, you feel a draft in an old home. That's actually a good thing mm-hmm. because you are you're getting fresh air into the home, and and the bad stuff is getting pushed out. Um, the new homes are hermetically sealed, and, and and because of that, there's no place for these gases to go. And if you live in a home like that, yes, open the windows periodically in the, in the winter, leave the door open, uh, get some fresh air in the house. It's not great for uh, fuel efficiency, but it'll keep your air cleaner. Now, what about this? Because <laughs> what about this suggestion I actually had? Um, when I interviewed the building biologist, he had said, leave your bathroom fan on. and Because he said a fan in the bathroom can clear about, he said it can basically um, circulate about an 800 square room in about an hour. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's a great idea. Yeah, so I'm thinking maybe leaving on maybe your kitchen fan on low and maybe a bathroom fan on probably makes a, a really good idea. Definitely. Let, let's talk about some of the mistakes people make when it comes to maybe scenting their home because that's a big one. You know, nowadays you can walk in, you see, you know, when you get in the bath, you see these extremely chemical-filled bath balls you can drop in your bath. <laughs> I'm just like, wow, yeah. that's terrible. But scents is a big one. And let's talk about three. And the one you didn't mention in your book, um, even though I think there's quite a few of them out there, and that is incense. I don't think you touched oh, yeah. on incense in your book. And then there's, you also touched on aromatherapy. Uh, particularly when it comes to synthetic aromatherapy, which I don't think a lot of people know exist, and perfumes. So you can just start, uh, sorry, not perfumes, I meant candles, paraffin candles. So you can start with any one you like. Okay. Well, let's, you know, let's leave, uh, group them all together and say that all of these fragrances that are synthetic are VOCs, the same, the same VOCs that we are having emitted from our glues and our resins and our paints. Uh, they might have a different fragrance, but they are synthetic chemicals created in a lab somewhere, and they they are designed to smell. They may take an element of the of the original fragrance to kind of trick the senses into thinking that you're smelling what you what you want to be smelling, but you're not. It's mm-hmm. a chemical, and it has uh, potentially toxic effects. Now uh, compare those to essential oils. They are derivatives of. They are synthesized from plants and flowers, and they are the real the real oil. And so those are healthy. Mm. Um, and you know, a lot of these candles are paraffin based, which is a petroleum product. And so when you're burning candles, you're actually burning carcinogens into your air, uh, and and you're creating soot. And the same thing with incense, you're creating soot and microparticulates in your air. And you're also infiltrating the air with uh, VOCs. Mm-hmm. So I don't recommend. I mean, I you know a lot of people like candles. You can avoid that uh, the part, uh, microparticulates and the uh, and the 
the uh, the negative um, uh, chemicals created by the paraffin. If you use beeswax candles or soy candles, um, you know, a vegetable wax, uh, but beeswax, of course, is the best. Th those mm -hmm. don't create um, that type of pollution. And if you have a beeswax candle with essential oil blend in it, then uh, you can have fragrance and the the romance of a candle without without the toxicity. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. I always find the uh, I always find the incense one quite ironic, because you'll walk into some of these you know health food stores or these wellness shops quite often, and they have incense burning. Yeah. <laughs> like, studies have shown that like a stick of incense is like smoking three cigarettes or something like that. It's ridiculous. I'm like, yeah, I mean, in India or, or, or some of these countries where the incense originated from, of course, you have uh, you don't have glass windows, you have you have huts, you know. Yeah, well, they're used or, in temples. Like I lived in Thailand and in India. I mean, they're used in temples. They're lit outside for the most part. Right. You There's know? plenty of air circulation, and you're not in an enclosed space with them. Yeah, they're, they're not 16-year-old girls that love dragons putting them in their <laughs> bedrooms. <laughs> All right. Um, so, so air. So basically, um, best thing for air then would be uh, really quality, like you said, a uh, like a HEPA filter or something like that. Uh, for the HVAC system, you really can't put a HEPA filter on it because you would need to have a stronger uh, a stronger system to push the air through a HEPA filter, and it's okay. probably overkill. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, a high quality filter would be pleated, and it would have maybe a cottony type look. It would be uh, opaque, so that the air is is being trapped. You know, the particulates in the air are being trapped by this by the fiber. Gotcha. It's, uh, yeah, and then NASA. I know NASA. I've talked about this a few times. NASA has its top ten list of um, air cleaning uh, plants too that people could look at. I suppose. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, then let's move on to food because food's a big one. Food's a big category. So let's just talk about. Um, you know, could, we could have an entire you know entire podcast on on food alone, but let's talk about some of the biggest problems you see in in typical food today and we're just going to talk you know about just typical quote-unquote you know healthy food we won't get into all the you know refined foods because we know those aren't good for you but let's talk about the healthy foods and what people should be aware of sure so i don't think many people realize that our organic produce and conventional produce are both uh, they're manipulated by industry to uh, in, increase their shelf life and improve their appearance. Um, so a lot of the produce is waxed. Uh, you know, even organic produce is is waxed with either a shellac or a beeswax or carnauba wax. And the problem with the wax is that underneath that layer of wax are residues of pesticides and fungicides. Uh, so even for, say, an organic rower, may use copper as a fungicide, which, you know, too much copper can cause Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. So there are, you know, you you need to get the waxes off of the produce before you eat them for both conventional and organic. Um, and so uh, I've, I tell people all over, you know, you need to either make your own or, or buy a bottle of the fruit and veggie wash. I mean, they, it's easily made at home with some vinegar and lemon juice and just water and, and, and create a soak to get the wax off. But it's not a scam. <laughs> a lot of people think that that fruit and veggie wash is a scam. It's not. It's actually very important uh, to get that the pesticides and the, and the fungicides off of the, of the produce. 
Um, so that's, that's the most important thing in, in terms of what I see. There's also, uh, you know, conventional produce, they dye the fruit, um, in the state of Florida, uh, early in the season, they even use red dye number two, which has been outlawed because it's carcinogenic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, there are definitely, um, reasons to have organic produce and, uh, there's, uh, the environmental working group, ewg.org, they create a list called the dirty dozen every year. Uh, it's a list that's definitely worth looking at, uh, if you buy conventional produce and you can look at this list and know, well, what, which of the varieties of produce have the, the most, uh, you know, are, are the most dangerous in terms of, uh, you know, uh, pesticides and, and, uh, and all that. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, because there's the dirty dozen list. I think then there's like the clean 15, which is the opposite. It's one they use the least amount on, I think. It's kind of interesting. Right. Yeah, you bring up a good point. A lot of people think just because it's organic that, you know, there's no, say, you know, any sort of, I don't know, lack of a better word, just poisons used, you know, to keep away the bugs. I don't know what they think they're doing. They're out there picking them off by hand or something. But there's <laughs> right. even there's even been at least one that I know of that's actually been banned even on organic farming because it was killing fish and wildlife in ponds. So right. you bring up an excellent point when you say make sure you wash it all. Actually, one of our one of my first guests I had on here was a woman named Maria Ibrahim, and she's the founder of a company called Eat Cleaner. Have you heard of that? No, I have not. Yeah, they make a really good, a really nice um, kind of vegetable wash like you talked about. Hers has been shown to reduce, um, I think it was like 99% of pesticides and 97% of wax or something like that. So mm-hmm. it's a quite a good one. But um, yeah, definitely washing, you know, whether you're going organic or conventional is always a big a big deal. Now, yeah. what about, I mean, you did mention color, which I was going to ask you about. So we got over that one. But what about this glyphosate? Because glyphosate is one of those, you know, you got the scientific people who say there's nothing wrong with it because you can use it so much less, like they use less poison on their plants and say organic does. Organic has to use so much more because it's not as strong. Then you have the right. extremely opposite end, which is the glyphosate, you know, the Monsanto haters. Where do you fall on glyphosate? So, uh, you know, glyphosate is definitely toxic. It's a toxin. It's a, it's a metal chelator. Uh, it, 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 it binds to metal and makes the metal unusable for the plants or for us, whoever the glyphosate happens to be in. Um, and so, you know, when, when glyphosate first came out, the, the talk was, oh, well, it's biodegradable. It doesn't get absorbed by the plants. Uh, it's safe. You know, it's here today, gone tomorrow. That was the that was what they were saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the animals that were being fed feed that had uh, been treated with glyphosate, their intestines. Uh, I've seen p- pictures of from farmers showing me that the the stomachs and the intestines of this of the cattle were uh, macerated. They had intestinal disorders. Um, and what's interesting is of course, people now have intestinal disorders. Like I mentioned in, during the opening, how many people now have, uh, have, uh, gluten sensitivity, which is a malabsorption. Mm-hmm. It's because the, the small intestine isn't working properly. Now, uh, one of the, cro- uh, the properties of glyphosate is that it is an antibiotic. In fact, Monsanto, uh, applied for a patent a number of years ago to have glyphosate recognized as an antibiotic. So that's not something that I've made up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, your, your gut is, is, uh, 
is uh, coated with the microbiome, intestinal, you know, microbi uh, the intestinal biota, uh, microbiota, which is, you know, trillions of bacteria and fungi live in your intestine that help you digest food, and they they help protect the lining of your intestine as well. And so if you have a trace amount of glyphosate here and a trace amount there and a trace amount, you know, every meal, you're, you're going to damage your microbiome. Yeah. So uh, that is what I believe is the cause of all of this malabsorption that we're seeing. Now, what are people doing? There, there's another industry, of course, the probiotics industry. So we're killing the bacteria. Well, just put it back with probiotics. The problem <laughs> yeah. is a lot of the probiotics, you know, they'll give you some strains of bacteria and all that, but it's not, it's not millions of strains. It's not hundreds of thousands of strains. It's like, you know, what, 10, 15 I think the most I've seen is 18. I think that's it. Yeah. yeah so you're it. not getting, it, it's kind of like having a lawn that's only got a few types of grass in it and a drought comes and your grass dies. It's, if you, if you had all the, the natural, uh, flora uh, on a lawn, you had different varieties of, of weeds and grasses, your grass would always be green because there's always going to be some type of plant that'll be able to survive in the harsh conditions that, that the lawn's exp experiencing. I, I kind of look at that as an analogy for the gut. You, you want to have as many varieties of bacteria as possible to be healthy. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Somebody, the, Actually, the other day, somebody was asking me my thoughts on kombucha. And I said, you know, I said, kombucha is great. I said, it's fine. I said, but, you know, I said, the problem is everybody wants to stick to this, their one kind of probiotic, whether they're just buying one in the fridge or they're just drinking kombucha thinking that's it. I said, you have to eat, you know, I got to get some sauerkraut in there. You need to get some, you know, kombucha in there. You need to get some kimchi in there. I mean, even yeah. probiotics, you, if, if you're going to take probiotics, I don't have anything against, but you got to mix up the bottles. You just can't keep taking the same one again and again and again. You should really right. rotate them through. So. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so food definitely give it a good clean. That's probably the most important thing at the end of the day is give it a good clean to take out those waxes and take off all the. Um, the definitely, and I I would recommend staying away from uh, from uh, produ uh, produce and grains that have been treated with glyphosate. You know, the thing also uh, about glyphosate that many people don't realize is that the wheat crops, flax. Oats, uh, it's coming to surface now because a lot of the breakfast cereals are contaminated with glyphosate. But the farmers are spraying their fields with glyphosate to desiccate the crop to make the harvest easier. Mm -hmm. And so what's happening now is, of course, the, the wheat berries, the oats, it, everything's being coated and it's, it's, it's ending up in our food supply. So that's, that's really where a lot of this is coming from now. Yeah. I just, I just want to throw that out there. No, for sure. What are your thoughts? I know we could get into a long debate on this. What are your thoughts just quickly, though, when it comes to GMOs? A lot of people are anti-GMO. You know, I think there are some positives. You know, they have actually you know, created a GMO rice that actually gave kids vitamin A from, to stop them from dying. Is mm -hmm. the problem the GMOs itself? Because the problem is you, quite hear, you always hear about GMOs and then glyphosate kind of in the same paragraph. So in your opinion, is the GMO itself the problem or is it the GMOs are created to kind of handle the glyphosate. What's your kind of view on that? Uh, I think there are some GMOs that are dangerous. For example, the ones that are designed to produce their own pesticides. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's there's a GMO variety of corn, I believe, that that you know the insect bites into it and then it dies because the the corn actually is producing its own pesticide. 
Uh, I don't know what that does to our microbiome. I don't think it's good for it. And it I'm not sure. Sound it doesn't sound like it would be good. <laughs> right. It doesn't sound like it would be good. Exactly. Now, of course, other GMO varieties do different things. They all have their own characteristics. It's very hard to generalize and say, well, all GMOs are bad mm -hmm. because, you know, uh, I, you know, I don't know what, what the characteristic is that the GMO is, has been given through the technology. Um, and so, I, you know, it's very hard to say, you know, all or none. Uh, but, you know, the glyphosate, as we said, is that's a big concern of mine and and the corn in particular or any any vegetable or fruit that's been given a characteristic of producing a, a toxin to kill an organism. I'm not sure because we're, we're eating to, to provide ourselves with nutrition and also to produce uh, to, to give our microbiome uh, a nutrition and we don't want to kill it off. And so. I think if if people think of it in terms of that, uh, with those terms, it's 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 more, maybe an easier uh, an easier decision. You know what what's good for you, what's not. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense to me. Yeah, I agree one hundred percent. There's you know there's definitely some good that's come out of it, um, but there's you know definitely some issues we got to worry about. So the next thing that we're going to do is we're going to skip over the refined foods because the fact is, if you're listening to the podcast and you're still eating Doritos and Pop Tarts, you probably <laughs> just shouldn't be listening to this podcast. But you got to jump into the my next thing, and this is a big one for me. When I do what I call my kitchen cleanup with clients quite often, this is one of the biggest areas I go through because. The fact is you can, you know, you can even go buy the healthiest food, but if you're not prepping it and packaging it, storing it right, you know, it's you just you're kind of it's you're kind of messing up what you you did good and now you've kind of messed it up again. So yeah. one of the biggest things that and it's this is a hard one because I've been doing a lot of research and like your book had come out about a year ago and we talked a little bit at the beginning of the podcast that there's even been studies in the last year and what I want to talk about that in a bit if there's anything you would add into your book now if you were to kind of bring out a 2.0 or anything that maybe you edited <laughs> out. But pots and pans let's talk about cookware for a minute because this is such a big topic now let's talk about, let's talk about teflon first can you tell us a bit about teflon so teflon originally they they used a chemical called pfo8 uh to uh to to create the non-stick coating and you know i think many people are familiar that if you cook on a teflon pan and you have a bird in your kitchen for example you got to worry about the bird dying because the teflon off gases and the the residue from that off gassing can kill a bird mm -hmm. so what is it doing to us you know the, the, these chemicals are getting into our uh, they're they're getting into our lungs they're getting into our um our bloodstream and they have hormonal effects now let uh, me ask of, sorry sorry go on I was going to say that they're also some of them are bio persistent, meaning there's no way to get rid of them. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you a question though. You did say a key word in there. I want to ask about that because one of the th arguments that say the company Teflon talks about, you said they originally made with PFOA. Right. Um, what's have they changed that or? Yeah, uh, I think it's Dupont. They don't use they, they don't make uh, their pans using PFOA anymore. That's been outlawed, I think, because they found that it was a one of these bioperistent chemicals that is found all over the world now, including in polar bears. I mean, it's just it got all over the entire world, and there's no way for nature to degrade it. So they they don't make that anymore, but they do use other chemicals. Hmm. Uh, there's PF um, PFAS, and uh, I'm not I'm not quite sure right off the cuff here what 
with some of the other chemicals are. I believe I mentioned them in my book. You do, But yeah. there are similar chemicals, just like I mentioned with BPA, BPS, BPF. Chemists have de designed other chemicals that do the same sort of thing as the PFOA did to create these nonstick coatings. And my advice is just stay away from them. I don't trust any of them. Yeah, no, I, I get off them too. So knowing that then, what do you think, what are some of the other ones actually, what, is there any other ones, major ones that we should really avoid? You hear you hear copper thrown in there, you hear aluminum thrown in there, anything else? Yes, aluminum pots and pans. I, you know, there are two types of aluminum. There's anodized aluminum and then there's just regular aluminum, which is what all of our grandparents used to use. I would stay away from regular aluminum. Uh, there's, uh, there is definitely an association, at least I believe that there's an association between aluminum consumption and Alzheimer's disease. And so where's it coming from? Maybe from pots and pans, maybe from the liberal use of aluminum foil. Uh, I would recommend being very cautious using aluminum in, in cookware and, and using uh, limiting foil usage. Mm. Okay. Um, so yeah, the anodized aluminum is fine as long as it's not chipped and scratched. Okay. Now, so anodized aluminum could be one option. What are a couple other good options then that you would suggest? Stainless steel. Stainless steel. Stainless steel is fine. Uh, titanium is expensive, but I like it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we were talking about ceramic and how a lot of the ceramic, uh, pans now they're fine. They've they're coated with nanoparticles and uh, maybe some uh, heavy metals in the glaze that that uh, you were saying that they've they've uh, found is is getting into the food. So ceramics may not uh, might not be a good choice anymore. Yeah, from what I was reading, there's one company that makes a hundred percent pure ceramic, which I guess scored quite well. But I guess the problem is it seems a lot of them use ceramic blends. Like you said, they're either like using some kind of nano coating, which can scratch off quite easily. A lot of them are maybe they're like they're like a, like even one of my pans. I thought I was buying good at the beginning. It's a copper ceramic blend. You yeah. Know? So it's just it's interesting. So the seems of ceramics that not a lot of people are doing like really good quality ceramics. They're all just kind of figuring out a way to use a bit of ceramic in kind of more traditional pots and pans. Right. Right. And the the uh, the uh, the anod um, well seasoned cast iron skillets are wonderful. Also, I mean, you certainly don't want to use one that's rusting or you know uh, you don't want to abrade the surface. But uh, if it's well seasoned and you're using proper utensils with it, a, a cast iron skillet and fry pan is an excellent choice. Yeah, no, I definitely like the cast iron stuff. But like you said, it, <laughs> even I got a little one for Christmas and that thing within a day, it was rusty. I was like, holy crap, <laughs> rusted so quickly. Now, when it comes to stainless steel, I've read different stuff, you know. I'm assuming, you know, like, because you can go to the dollar store and get dollar store stainless steel pots and pans, but I've yeah. read, you know, there's def definitely different grades. Uh, you know, I'm assuming there's some that are very probably high in nickel and aluminum, like it kind of mixes. Would you, is there such a thing as, I've heard the word medically or, or medical stainless steel, medical grade stainless steel. Have you heard of that at all or? I have not, but some people do have nickel allergies. And so if that is the case, if somebody in your household has a nickel allergy, you do have to be cognizant of the, the the percentage of nickel in the stainless steel if that's what you're choosing to cook with. Mm -hmm. Now, what about then? What about when it comes to packaging and storing food? So we, we've talked a bit about cooking it. I would do want. We're all going to touch a little bit on microwaves and maybe a little bit on just high heat cooking. But let's talk for a minute before we get into that about what are some of the biggest mistakes people make when they're 
storing their food? Because I heard you mention aluminum foil, which is, you know, very popular still. Right. So uh, people, you know, they, they'll wrap their foods up in with aluminum foil or a plastic wrap. Um, even hot foods, they'll put hot food in a plastic wrap uh, and then, you know, put it in the refrigerator. Uh, they'll put uh, a, a food like uh, leftover spaghetti, you know, wrap it with aluminum foil, not realizing that the acid in the tomato sauce can actually leach aluminum from the foil. Mm. And so when you then heat that meal up, especially if you've got the aluminum on the on the food as you're heating it, you're actually going to be eating aluminum along with your tomato sauce. Mm. Uh, so it it's really not it's something to be aware of. I I uh, I wasn't aware of it until doing the research for this book. But now what I do is uh, I'll coat I'll cover my food with an unbleached parchment paper. I don't use bleached uh, paper products because. Uh, of the chemicals associated with the bleaching process, but an unbleached a paper product, and then cover that with the aluminum foil, and and it creates a a barrier so that the food's not in direct contact with the aluminum foil or the saran wrap. That makes uh, sense. The saran, uh, the plastic wraps have these chemicals, just like the glass, the plastic water bottles, just like the plastic containers. They all have, you know, plastics in general. Uh, I would avoid having food come into direct contact with, especially if it's uh, if it's hot or acidic. Yeah, and that's what I'd read about. Um, they I was actually when I was kind of doing some research on it. They were telling you, but even a cast iron skillet, you want to be a little more careful with acidic foods, just because they can kind of break down, the, you know, the materials a little bit. Yeah, um, it's interesting. Now, with this parchment paper, you just get that at gro typical grocery store. Is it like a normal thing to find? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, they have it in the grocery store. Uh, depending on the store that you shop in, they may only have bleached varieties, and I would I would recommend going for unbleached. And if if the grocery store doesn't sell it, you can always get them online. Gotcha. And then besides the aluminum foil, going back to the plastics, because um, this is a big pet peeve of mine. Is everybody you know? Well, mine's BPA free, and like you'd mentioned, BP. What they don't realize is just a classification of chemicals. Like you said, there's like BP, P, P, B, B, F, Z, Z, S. Um, a thing right. that I see a lot of people still doing is, uh, and you'll see them at Walmart, I would say about 80% of them, are plastic water kettles. You know, people heating up their <laughs> coffee in the morning in a plastic oh, water goodness. kettle. Yeah. just does not seem like a good idea. Switching that up to stainless steel is probably a no-brainer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Now, what about cooking? Let's talk about microwaves for a second, because again, microwaves is one of those things that draws a line right down the middle when it comes to people. Do you use a microwave at all? And yes or no, and why? I don't. Uh, I threw my microwave out about six or seven years ago. Um, and uh, when we get to the EMF uh, chapter, uh, I'll go more into this. But we did a. There are two reasons. One is we did the uh, a survey of the house with my EMF detector, and I found that when I turned the microwave on, it shot EMF, uh, a very powerful stream of EMF all over the first floor of my house. And I, you know, I, I have two young children, and I didn't want them being exposed to the radiation. So that was the first reason. The second reason is I did some research. I found that there were initially some uh, some studies that came out that really put into question the safety of foods that had been microwaved um, and they were squashed, you know, a hundred percent, they were kind of squashed and, and discredited that the researchers that put out these papers. And I just kind of saw the same sort of thing with many other industries. 
Um, and I just, it raised a red flag in, in my mind that uh, perhaps this original research was, was credible. Mm-hmm. And so I, don't, I didn't even want to heat up my water with it. Yeah, the, uh, bio, the building biologist, I just said, he says, microwaves are safe at 18 feet away. Right. Oh, that's that's good to know. (laughs) That's about right. Eighteen feet. That sounds about right. Yeah, he says six meters. I'm like, that's about eighteen feet. That's bigger than most people's condos. Um, Okay. So, and then high heat cooking. I know you don't talk about this in your book, but let's talk for a minute just about why people should maybe think about things like barbecue or or heating up foods like toast, where you're just kind of burning the outside layers. Can we talk about that for a sec? Sure. Well, you know, you're you're creating chemical reactions with the food. So when you're when you're burning something, you're actually creating potentially carcinogenic compounds in the food. It depends what the food is, but uh, food's not meant to be incinerated like that. Yeah, no, there's quite a few studies. If anybody's interested, go type in high heat and ages, A-G-E-S. Uh, it's pretty interesting stuff on the carcinogens created from food. Now, of course, the argument being, you know, when it comes to, say, barbecuing meat, well, if you eat a high-nutrient high vegetables with that, it buffers it a little bit. So it's not something to get super panicked about. But it is something to be aware about, particularly if you're a low-vegetable, maybe you're on the carnivore diet and all you're doing is eating barbecued food right now. Right. <laughs> it may be really, really relevant to you. You know, one of the things that I've had a hard time resolving is, well, how do you barbecue ribs if you can't wrap them up in aluminum foil? Because that's what all the recipes say to do. You know, you cover them up with the with the with the the sauce and you wrap it up in aluminum foil, but that's not a good idea. No, definitely not. I guess there's no more eating ribs. So here to say, Health by Design podcast, no more ribs allowed. It's too bad because I love ribs. <laughs> I know, me too. Now let's talk a bit about cleaning products, and because just for the for the sake of time, um, we're not going to talk about all the different chemicals. I think by now people understand there's all these artificial perfumes and xenoestrogens and all these scents they're all using. We talked about the candles. What are just some healthy cleaning alternatives? I think people put way too much emphasis in like all the stuff they need for cleaning, and I think it's really a lot simpler than most people think. So, what do you suggest uh- for cleaning? I agree with you. You know, we don't have to be living in sterile boxes. Uh, the American Cleaning Institute uh, created these, this idea that we need to have spick and span houses and that we need to kill all the bacteria everywhere. It's just not true. Mm-hmm. Um, we're dropping bacteria off from our microbiome into our home environment and we're picking up bacteria all the time. They're not pathogenic. They're not causing us any harm. In fact, they're they're healthy for us. They're part of our virtual, uh, it's like a virtual organ, this microbiome. We don't want to kill it. And so by using some of these uh, antiseptic sprays and, uh, and wipes, we're actually doing more harm to ourselves than, than good. Uh, and in fact, a lot of people growing kids growing up in that kind of environment, they more frequently have allergies and asthma and other chronic health conditions than the kids that grow up on the farm, for example. Yeah, a recent study just came out that actually showed that babies um, that were basically born and raised in houses that use cleaners versus natural stuff had uh, higher weights and higher le- like like higher fat weight. Um, so it's oh. really interesting, and they think this because you know the kids are walking around. You used to clean on the ground. The kids are touching it and then putting their fingers in their mouths and stuff like that. And they so, have estrogenic effects. Yeah, yep, big some, time. So, yeah. what now? What kind of cleaners would you suggest? Like, I'm just going to throw some things out there, like vinegar, like. Yeah, I, I you know anything that's edible. Uh, vinegar is an excellent thing to clean countertops with, and 
and the toilet bowl, uh, you know, baking. So um, household cleaning is very much about acid-base chemistry. And so if you look at the, the chemicals that you're used to using that you buy from the store, they're either acidic or they're alkaline. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to recreate something alkaline in the home, you can use baking soda. That's alkaline. If you want to use something acidic, you can use lemon juice, you can use vinegar, you can use lime juice. Uh, if you need an abrasive, you can use salt uh, or sugar. You can use um, uh, a pumice stone. There are lots of different, you know, natural and or edible products that we can use to clean to clean our countertops and the bathroom and things like that. Now. If, if, if somebody has the flu in your house uh, or if there's if you're cooking with meat that you're suspicious might be tainted, well, then I would recommend using something that's going to be antiseptic. Yeah, I was going to uh, ask maybe, about that, antiseptic, because I know vinegar is not antiseptic. Would that be like hydrogen peroxide? You could use hydrogen peroxide. You could use, you know, bleach or diluted bleach. I don't like bleach, but, you know, on rare occasion, it's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. It's really about what do you do daily or weekly. That's, in my opinion, that's the most important. If you use bleach in your bathroom once a month just to keep down, you know, any potential, you know, mold or mildew growing in the corners or, or what have you, I think that's fine. It's just I wouldn't use it daily. I wouldn't use it weekly. No, definitely not. I myself use the food-grade hydrogen peroxide quite a bit for my antiseptic in the kitchen, at least anyway. Yeah, terrific. That's terrific. Hmm. Um, let's move on to personal cosmetics. Um, women, it's been studies have shown us that women put on roughly 168 chemicals in a day and men about 85. What are some of the big problems with most cosmetics? The biggest problem with cosmetics is that there's no labeling requirements. And so you have no idea what's in the cosmetic when you're applying it to your skin. And, you know, we used to think that the skin was this impermeable barrier, but it isn't. Uh, you know, we absorb chemicals from the skin. You mentioned earlier that we can absorb chlorine when taking a shower. Well, we, we can absorb all kinds of chemicals. Many of them are either uh, hormone-disrupting chemicals or potentially carcinogenic chemicals, and we absorb them through these products. And there's no labeling requirements, so you can't know, you can't know what you're absorbing. There's like no way to know because because it's not written anywhere. Yeah, because I know like even when it comes to like a lot of the perfume companies can just use the word perfume because th it's a legal thing, so they can hide their formulas. Right. Yeah. So right. is it like so? What are the biggest problems? Is it the um, would it be mostly the xenoestrogens that we should be aware of? You know to to. Uh, that is a biggie. That's a big one. But to say that that's the only one, I don't know. I, I can't tell you because I don't know what they're using. Mm -hmm. But what I would say uh, in general is the materials that you apply to larger surfaces of your body, such as uh, moisturizers or sunblocks, things like that, that you're applying per perhaps to large areas of your body, maybe even more than once a day. Those are the products that you really need to be super critical about. Um, and Given the the fact that there's really no way to know what your you know what the product that you're using contains, uh, you have two options. One is there's that environmental working group website. They they've done a lot of independent research to try to figure out uh, what's in some of these products, and they grade them uh, on a scale from A to F. And you can go to that website and see well how how does your your uh, how does your product rate. 
And if the EWG gives it a, a seal of approval, then I would say you're 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 probably uh, fine, at least for the time being. They can always change their formulary. The other idea is just use something that's edible, like uh, for a skin moisturizer. I recommend just using, um, uh, you know, the uh, uh, coconut oil. I just use shea butter myself. Or shea butter. That's yeah. another. That's an excellent choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So let's move on then to your next chapter. I wanted to talk about sunblock, but uh, you know, we just just for the sake of time, sunblock. A lot of bad stuff in traditional sunblocks, correct? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right. <laughs> so think about using maybe like some coconut oil-based sunblocks. Go to your health food store and check out more natural ones. <laughs> let's move on to energy and spirit, and I'm just going to ask you, why did you decide to do uh, a chapter on sound, light, and EMF? Let's just go there. So, you know, we, our bodies are affected uh, by energy. Um, it might not be biochemical, but it's uh, electromagnetic. And in the case of sound, it's a, it's a frequency. And uh, the, it can be a positive effect. It can be a negative effect. So in the case of light and EMF, I think what, what people really need to understand is that uh, we are supposed to be existing in a world without artificial sources of light. And that includes without artificial sources of EMF, because EMF is also part of the electromagnetic spectrum. We're supposed to get this energy from the sun. And so when the sun goes you know, over the horizon and it's nighttime, our bodies are designed to go to sleep. Uh, and in that process, we produce melatonin, which is a hormone that is extremely important for our immune system. Mm-hmm. Uh, the... the uh, the time that we produce melatonin is greatly affected by our exposure to both light and EMF. And so if we're watching computer screens, if we have lights on in our bedroom at night, uh, if we have a Wi-Fi router near our bedroom uh, or the cell phone next to our bed, these are things that are going to disrupt our melatonin production. Now, uh, melatonin is, like I I mentioned, it's a very important hormone it's critical, especially in the winter time when we're not producing vitamin D. And I, I like to believe that, you know, vitamin D is, is our supplement, a natural supplement in the summertime when the sun is in the northern latitudes, when the, the sun is high in the sky and we're getting lots of hours of daylight, we're producing lots of vitamin D. We're producing a little bit of melatonin because the nights are short. Mm-hmm. But when the sun goes down to the southern hemisphere and nights are long, we're producing very little vitamin D, but we're supposed to be producing lots of melatonin. Mm-hmm. If we're not allowing our bodies to produce melatonin, we get sick. Our immune systems uh, become depleted. We can become more risk for developing cancers. And I believe that might be one of the main reasons why there's a cold and flu season up here, because we are not allowing ourselves to, uh, we're, we're, we're depleting our immune systems. Yeah, that makes complete sense of the artificial lighting. Actually, I had on um, the founder of the Bedtime Bulb recently. We did an entire episode on um, kind of blue light spectrum and stuff like that. But I find it very interesting that you bring up that the – because like a lot of people might have missed it when they just think, okay, you were talking about cell phones and the light, the blue light we know from the cell phones. But you're also saying that the frequency from EMF, not the light, but the frequency from the EMF can decrease your melatonin. That's right, because the body, it, the pineal gland uh, will sense EMF. The EMF goes right through the skull, it goes and it hits the pineal gland and it tells the pineal gland the sun's still out. Hmm. And so you stop producing melatonin. 
Very interesting. So basically in nighttime when people are throwing on these blue blocking glasses, which is all good or using the bedtime bulb, they should probably also be turning off any of the Wi-Fi signals that are pretty much in their homes too. Anything near the bedroom should be should be removed, and a lot of people use their cell phones as a as a uh, as a, an alarm clock. Put it in uh, airplane mode so it's not pinging you while you're sleeping, because otherwise you're being periodically pinged every minute or two with a pulse of EMF to you know because the phone's trying to see if you have any messages coming in, uh, and that is affecting you. That's yeah. affecting your your ability to produce melatonin. That makes complete sense. Actually, the building biologist had on, he said, try this for one week. So he said, I got a challenge for everybody. Just try this for one week. Just cut the power breaker. Don't put the phone in your room or put on airplane mode, like you said, if you need the alarm. But just cut the power breaker to your bedroom and just see what your sleep is going to be like. He's like, it's going to be as close as you get to, say, camping. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> now, <laughs> let's finish up with just talking about, you know, the last thing I want to talk about in your book, because, you know, you go through, like, you've talked about, you know, EMFs, and you've talked about light, and you've talked about light waves and chemicals, but then you jump into feng shui and meditation. What made you decide to include those in your book? Well, it's funny. That these were the chapters that I actually started the book. Uh, when I started writing the book, this is what I wanted to focus on, because, you know, as 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 well as being a medical doctor, I'm also a, on a spiritual path. I've been exploring, um, just like yourself, I've been exploring uh, the power of the mind and and what does it mean? You know, what is all this uh, consciousness? How does it how does it really affect our lives? And uh, you know, I do believe that at the foundation of everything that we've discussed is is the idea that there's an energy, there's a frequency behind the creation of everything that's physical in our universe. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be able to harness the power of the mind. Uh, and you can do that through meditation. It's, uh, so not only is meditation, I mean, meditation has been proven to be uh, important for reducing stress, which reduces you know, biochemical uh, processes in the body that are associated with the stress reaction that's again biochemistry it's also important because clearing the mind allows for new thoughts new new inspirations of genius to occur and with new inspiration new insights comes new life new experiences new new reality uh it's it's extremely important to keep moving forward and to to cleanse yourself of toxic thoughts not to get hung up on on things and and you know having a book about trying to be healthy it seemed like that was of paramount importance to me yeah i agree with that 100 percent. the feng shui style that you kind of look at do you do the more classical style with the with the compass or do you use the more americanized sort of btb with the just the eight the nine square map so yeah the feng shui to me was uh it was kind of the way of of integrating my individual uh my mind with the mind of the collective conscious. So feng shui means wind and water, and it's the energy that flows throughout our environment, and not uh, necessarily just wind and water, but just the energetic phenomenon of the collective consciousness. It's, it, mm -hmm. it enters your home, and it, it, it moves throughout your home, and it can create either positive uh, or negative circumstances, depending on how the energy is either stagnating or moving. Uh, and so, uh, what I've done in my home is I've I did the compass work because different uh, directions are associated with different elements, uh, and so I I did do the discipline of uh, of uh, creating 
power centers in each room that were uh, that represent the different elements, and uh, and I've I there's a, a concept of poison arrows. I'm not mm-hmm. sure how much of your of the of the topic your audience is familiar with, but I did kind of uh, a shroud different poison arrows with uh, with uh, wind chimes and and fabrics and things like that and. Uh, I, I've done as much as I can. You can never be perfect with feng shui. I mean, there's just so many things to do. Uh, but a lot of the advice that the um, that they recommend is showing to be true. Just like you mentioned about taking electronics out of the bedroom. That's a feng shui concept. They, mm-hmm. they say take electronics out of the bedroom. They're right. You know, it's very important. Uh, so, yeah, I've done as much as I can uh, at this point. It's a it's a process. It's it's ongoing. I, I continually look at things I can do to improve it. Yep. And it, yeah. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense to me. So let's wrap up then. Where can people find your book? Uh, if they want to, if they want to get, did you self-publish it? Is it self-published or did you... it is self-published? Okay. Yeah. You know, it's so easy to self-publish now. Um, and so I chose to go that route. Uh, had more uh, creative control of the content and the cover design and the title and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any case, the book's available on Amazon, Amazon.com, and uh, I have a website which is RobBrownMD.com, uh, which people can go to and and uh, link up to my Facebook and my Twitter. I don't, I'm not too active on social media lately. I'm going to get back to it, but uh, I'm starting another book actually, and so. Uh, oh. Some of my efforts are being put into that. Any secret on what the other one is? A sneak peek? It's going to be a, a similar transition uh, going from the physical and biochemical up to the spiritual, but it's going to be on methods of healthcare. Oh, okay. So uh, I'm going to do. Uh, I want to. I want to. I want to create a more uh, accept uh, more acceptance to alternative forms of healthcare. Hmm. Is there anything in this, is there anything that maybe you, you're looking back at your book, is there any particular big thing that you say, boy, I wish I had added that? Anything that's happened last year or just something maybe you wanted to add, but your book, you know, already reached 200 and, you know, 35 pages, so maybe you cut it out. Is there anything? Well, it's true. <laughs> it's true. I did cut a lot out because it was over 400 pages when I, when I finished wow. editing it. Uh, so I, I cut out a lot of stories and a lot of uh, of, of um, information, but uh, no, the the important things I think I got out. Uh, I think you know the only the only problem with the book that I see is that it's it's a maybe a little bit too edited in that uh, it's it really jumps from topic to topic quickly, and so it's dense. It's dense reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of references. And uh, it's not it's not something that you would just read as if you were reading a novel. It's yeah, no, I, the way I did, I think I kind of went one chapter and then I stopped and then I picked it up and went to the next chapter. I kind of broke it down more like that. So. Yes, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, anyways, uh, we've passed the hour mark, so I, I want to <laughs> respect your time and let you go. But I knew this was going to be a long one because you just—it's a great book. You had so many things I wanted to talk about. Like I said, you have everything you from so glyphosate to feng shui. So, <laughs> so yeah. So I make sure all, everything uh, will be in this note, so everybody can go and check that out and check out your website and then order your book through Amazon. Thank you so much. Perfect. Thank you. 
You've been listening to the Health by Design podcast with wellness architect and functional lifestylist, Rora Alexander. If you enjoyed this, please make sure you share it to all your social media so I can get the word out there. And don't forget to join me at www.roralexander.com to get all the latest updates, blogs, podcasts, and guest interviews with my special guests from all over the world, as well as to set up your own personal call for one-on-one coaching through my Health by Design Life and Body Transformation programs. Again, that's www.roaralexander.com. I'll see you again soon. And again, thanks for tuning in to the Health by Design podcast.